0: Thank you, Tim, for that prayer prayer supplication. And I thank you for being here this morning and participating in the activities of our church and for your presence here in the worship experience and allowing me the privilege of opening up God's Word to you as we have been doing uh, for some time now in the first epistle of John. And that's where we'll kind of settle down this morning as well. Have you ever wondered where the term Eureka came from? I think it was a vacuum cleaner company or put out the... My mom used to have a Eureka, I think, or something like that. But anyway, have you ever wondered, uh, according to my source that I read, it came out of the 19th century, the gold rush. Uh, California. People discovered gold out there in them bar heels. And, and so people from the East Coast were flooding across the plains and, you know, and, and trampling over my, you know, uh, uh, ancestors and uh and our tribal ground, and you know killing buffalo and getting gold but but anyway, that's beside the point that's just political correctness being expressed there but anyway. <laughs> When, when these prospectors would find gold where they're panning in the streams or digging in these veins, they, you know, if they found what they uh, determined to be that beautiful, shiny, uh, you know, mineral that they so desired that, that it would change a man's prospect from being poor and in poverty to be rich and not have any needs after that, oh my goodness, they'd shout out, Eureka! You know, like, I found it, or something like that. In the Greek, it means Eureka. But anyway, but... But there was a syndrome going on during the gold rush that many of the prospectors were finding what they thought was gold, but it turned out to be fool's gold. It was actually not gold at all, but it looked like gold. It was actually an iron uh, derivative that looked like gold, but in actuality, when put to the test, it was not gold. Gold at all. There were several ways that you could test. And once you found a piece of gold, I think you would rub uh, the the uh, whatever you had against a piece of white porcelain. If it, if it wore off a little bit, that was that was real gold because gold is a soft metal. Um, another way you could determine if you found real gold was you know you've seen it in movies. You know those old westerns. You know yeah, you know, bite down on it. No telling how many prospectors you know lost teeth and needed crown. You know, things like that. But, but so, not everything that was shiny was gold, okay? And they learned that the hard way. You know, in the spiritual sense, not everything that glows in Christendom is Christian. Not everybody with a big smile on their face and saying, praise Jesus, is a true follower of Jesus Christ. There are ways to distinguish those who are true followers, and believers of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who are false, just like intestine gold against fool's gold. John is diligently, toward the end of his life and, 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 and shepherding these churches in the area of Ephesus and Asia Minor, John is under great conviction that the, the early church is already, in the first century, been bombarded with heresies and false teachings and, and movements that seek to infiltrate the church, the true church with these false notions of what it means to be a Christian or who Jesus was for that matter, and so what we've been seeing in these, this letter that Paul uh, I mean John is writing to those early Christians is, is his desperate attempt under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to them those Those facts from the Scriptures, and mind you, all the Scriptures had been printed. So John is passing along direct knowledge that he had received from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and and in discussions with other apostles. the, The truth, so that with the truth... In their hand, early Christians could determine that which is real, that which is unreal. That which is true Christianity, that which is false Christianity. Ladies and gentlemen, just because we are now some 20 centuries removed, please don't relax. Just because we have the canonical Word of God in our hands... Don't relax just because we are Southern Baptists or we have our denominational affiliations and we're educated in in, in the Word of God. Don't relax. Because the enemy is still real. He's still on his, his diabolical rampage to infiltrate as many churches as he possibly can to weaken the kingdom of God. In my message last time, we were looking back in John, 1 John chapter 3, uh, we talked about the history of, of the two families, the two eternal families. The family of God and the family of the devil. And we understood the origin of the Satan. He wasn't always a bad guy. He wasn't always the devil. He was once Lucifer, an exalted, powerful, intelligent, charismatic, esteemed archangel And he fell in his rebellion against God. Sin entered creation through Lucifer. And he took with him a third of the angels of heaven. Folks, there are millions upon millions of angels according to John's revelation or the revelation given to John. And we know those as demons and they are hard at work to deceive God's people today and to infiltrate the church in such a manner Churches will lose sight of who they really are. In fact, even lose sight of who Jesus really is. Oh, listen, don't relax. Don't get comfortable. Please don't drop your guard. Because we've got a task ahead of us. So I'll take you back to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be looking beginning in verse 19. and, And we'll be moving forward. Hopefully. We talked about the characteristics of true believers in the earlier verses in chapter 3 and John scripturally established clear indicators of who true believers are. And, and so now John moves us to begin to look at what I call the attitude of true believers. What should be the mindset of those people who are truly the, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are truly under the blood of Christ, who are, who are a part of the new covenant, who have been chosen and saved by God and a part of the body of Christ. People who have received the wonderful grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and belong to the family of God one of the first attitudes that that is manifested in true believers is confidence in our relationship with God God's people have confidence you know 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 the apostle Paul says God has not given us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power and love and self-control Oh, listen, we pay our enemy his due respect. (laughs) You better respect the devil. He's smarter than you. He's more powerful than you. He's more experienced than you. But we don't fear him. Nor do we fear his minions, the demons. God's people have a confidence that is rooted in our relationship with God. So let's read together in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. And, and by this we know, or in your translation it may say we shall know, that we are of the truth. I, you know, I cannot see truth in the Bible without seeing Jesus. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is embodied in Jesus Christ. So, so he says, my little children. He says, and, and by this we know that we are of the truth And shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So we're talking about this confidence that we have. Listen, our active demonstration of righteousness and love for the brothers and sisters confirms our salvation. How do you know you're a Christian? Oh yeah, preacher. I remember I was at Bible school eons ago. And, and, and I got a tug in my heart and I raised my hand. And I signed a card. And man, I've been a Christian ever since. Where do you belong in church? Oh, I don't belong to a church. Hadn't been to one since Bible school 48 years ago. <laughs> you know, but I'm a Christian. Yeah. So our assurance of our relationship with God. How do we get that confidence? How do we have that assurance that, yeah, I'm a Christian? It's not in an event that transpired years ago. That comes out of that old heretical teaching Arminianism that basically says there was something that happened to you and, and, and therefore you responded to it. And at that point you made right with God and then you went along. And if you didn't, uh, if you failed at God in any way, or if you sinned in any way, you boom, you lost your salvation. You got to go back to point a, start over again. You know, it depended upon on your faithfulness to God and carrying out a life of perfect righteousness, you could lose your salvation. You say, oh, that's terrible. That's a shame that people have lived in that kind of insecurity, you know, 2,000 years ago. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen, there are denominations that promote that false teaching even today. And there are people calling themselves children of God who wake up every morning with the fear, insecurity of wondering, will I lose my salvation today? Will I have to go through the process again? And John has been telling These early believers. He says your relationship with God is who you are. Not 20 years ago. Not 2 years ago. Your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is manifested every single day you get up. You live in righteousness. That's evidence that you're a child of God. You demonstrate automatically. Freely. A love for the people of God. And in converse. If you're living in unrighteousness, and it doesn't bother you, and you have no regard for the brothers and sisters in, the, in, in, in faith, then you have every reason to question whether or not you are truly a child of God. We can live with confidence just by knowing that we are. By the way we live, authentic faith and Christ-like love dispels all condemnations. You see, these people that live with what I call conditional Christianity, they are constantly subject to being condemned. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, understand, there are forces at work that are always seeking to cause you to feel condemned and to question your relationship with the Lord. And that's why John is saying here in verse 20, he says, for if our heart condemns us, now just wait a minute. How in the world would my heart condemn me? Well, you got an enemy. His name is Satan. And he won't miss an opportunity to point out any flaw in your life, anything that will misstep on your part, and he'll say, uh-huh, see there? You're not a Christian. You're not a child of God. And bingo, your conscience, your, your heart, if you allow it, it will condemn you. If you don't understand truly who you are in Christ, not only will our enemy, Satan or demons, uh, you know, at the drop of a hat, try to condemn us in our hearts, but you know good and well that sometimes we can carry along in our life sometimes insecurities. We don't just feel really secure about ourselves. Maybe something happened in our background that causes us to question whether or not we're really worth God's love or or some unfortunate environment in which we grew up or maybe doubts will come into our mind and let me just assure you that's not from God. That's not from the Holy Spirit. Will the Holy Spirit convict you when you sin? You better believe he will. That's his role. When we sin as true children of God, he will convict us. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. It's like a smoke alarm. You know what? If my house has got a fire going on somewhere and I'm in my bedroom sleeping like a baby, you know what? I don't mind that smoke alarm waking me up. And saving my life. I don't mind the Holy Spirit convicting Charlie Martin when I misstep in my walk with God. And convicting me so that I go quickly to the Lord and confess that sin And I am restored. But you see, I never lose my salvation. Not one minute, not one second in that process. Paul said in Romans chapter 8. I love chapter 8 verse 1. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's never a moment. Never a moment, Paul says, that a true child of God is condemned in the eyes of God. Now, Satan will try to convince you of that. His demons will try to convince you of that. And the misguided world will try to convince you of that. And even insecurities that you drag along with you will try to convince you of that. Paul goes on in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 31. He says, for, he says what then shall we say to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You're a child of God. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live thinking of this shadow of condemnation over you. He goes on in verse 34 to say, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Who can condemn you as a child of God in the eyes of God? No one. And our confidence comes from our daily walk with the lord our relationship with the lord but aren't you glad there are other evidences of confidence that we can have that daily will confirm to us and affirm in our hearts that we are god's children we belong to him hallelujah they're there in verse 22 going back to first john chapter 3 in verse 22 and whatever we ask we receive from him Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I've yet to see a good parent, good grandparent who doesn't want to give to their children. It's an oxymoron to be a stingy and, 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 and withholding and miserly parent or grandparent to the people you love the most and you know we grandparents we have to confess we're 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 afflicted with this generosity thing you know we're probably a little bit more generous than our children would like like us to be towards our grandchildren but it's a prerogative okay y'all get over it but anyway (laughs) we have a heavenly father who is generous in his heart he loves to hear us pray Prayer is a significant part of the daily walk with, Christ, with as Christians with the Lord. I love that old hymn. I keep it taped in the front of my Bible. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to Him in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest privilege or one of the greatest privileges you have as a follower of Jesus Christ as a child of the living God, is you can call upon Him, you can call His name, you can cry out to Him, no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, no matter how you feel, and He hears your prayers. John would go on to say later in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if He hears us, we know we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Did you hear what John said? This is the confidence that we have. I hope you don't come sheepishly, beggarly before God. And, you know, like like the the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz when he's going before the wizards. You know, the great and mighty wizard, and that old that old lion just he's just, you know, is that the way you go to God? Well, I wonder if God's going to hear my prayer. I wonder if he'll he'll do anything for me. I'm not worthy. No. God wants us to come to him. In Isaiah 58 verse 9. He says. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say here I am. Anybody ever been there? I have plenty of times. Cry out to God and says, oh Lord. And he says here I am Charlie. Here I am. <laughs> Don't worry. I got this. He wants, the Lord is faithful, faithful to hear our prayers. He's faithful to answer our prayers. Didn't God's Son Himself say, Ask, it'll be given unto you, seek, and you will find, knock, it'll be opened unto you. Jesus didn't say that on every third moon of every you know, 50th Sabbath, you can come before me and, and offer some kind of incense and a prayer, and I might hear it, I might not. Oh, no. He says pray, pray. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Make it a daily part of your life. Make it an hour by hour, minute by minute part of your life. And that gives us confidence. I think Christians who don't pray, Regularly and meaningfully are the ones that are the most insecure in their walk with God because they're not talking to him, they're not listening to him, and therefore they're not close to him. You know, Jesus said in John fifteen, seven, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Now let me just stop there for a second. Is that you? Do you by faith abide in the Son of God? And does His Holy Word abide in your heart? Ladies and gentlemen, don't just bring your Bible electronically or hard copy to church on Sunday and then after Sunday is over, say amen and put it back on a shelf or turn it off. Hide the word of God in your heart. Jesus says, if you abide in me by faith, and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Wonder why your prayer life is so flat, meaningless, and fruitless? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, where am I? Where am I? I am, am I in my career? Am I in my social life? Am I in social media? Am I doing my favorite sport? Eating at my favorite restaurant? I mean, where am I? Am I caught up in the web of materialism? Or are you in Christ? Abiding in Him. By faith every day, because Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be appointed or given unto you. Wow. He went on in verse 16 of that chapter to say, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. In John 15, 16, he says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you might go forth and bear fruit. And that your fruit might remain. And it says that you may ask, that whatever you ask of the Father, he may give to you. You see how important it is that we abide in faith? But you see, He said, if you are walking right with me, if your heart is tuned into me, if my word is in your heart, Jesus says, you can ask it. Because you're going to be asking according to the will of God. And going back to what I said earlier, we have a Heavenly Father who is absolutely in love with you. He adores you. He wants nothing but the best for you. Now, I've got to be careful because then I'll start bleeding over into prosperity gospel. And I'm not telling anybody that you're going to get that fancy car, okay? Or live in a mansion or whatever just because you can send me money, okay? <laughs> but, but, God loves to answer the prayers of his people who call upon him in Hebrews 4. We looked at this the pastoral team was preaching through the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16. In that passage he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Ladies and gentlemen. Listen. Hey brothers and sisters. He's not just talking about once you die and you go to heaven. And you're there in your glorified body. And then you come trouncing into the throne room of God. Sure you'll have access to the Lord. Sure you'll be able to come confidently before the, the Lord. Then. But guess what? Jesus is at the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. You can do that now. Through prayer. Come into the throne room of God in His sovereign power and majesty and omnipresence and omniscience and glory. You can come boldly. You don't have to slide and slither in or hide and sneak in. You can come boldly in because you're saying, Abba, Daddy. I heard someone say that when John F. Kennedy was president back in the 60s in the United States, of course, he was a young president, relatively speaking, he had a young family. And they talked about how it was almost impossible for anybody to get into the Oval Office. You'd have to get through all kinds of security screenings and applications and security personnel and everything. But they said on any given day, little John John, about three or four years old, come busting into the Oval Office of the West Wing. Ha! <laughs> Jump up in the lap of the President of the United States. Why? He didn't have security clearance. He wasn't anybody uh, that was on the uh, cabinet. They wouldn't be sitting in the President's lap anyway. He was a son. The only son of the President. That boy had access to his daddy just about any time. Come boldly before God's throne of grace. In prayer, knowing that He wants you to come before Him. Listen, one of the great sources of confidence is our prayer life in the Lord. i got to move along because I want us to look also we, at our assurance in our relationship with the Lord that confirms that we are indeed the people of God. We it comes also from our confidence in our position. And we've talked about that. Somebody, let's look going back to chapter 3 in First John. Pick up with me there in verse 23 and and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son jesus christ because you know and i know there's no other way hebrews 4 12 nor is there salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men but jesus christ by which you may be saved and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. There's, those, there's that element. As he gave us commandment. Look at verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandment, or commandments abides in him. And he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. By the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom He gives or has given us, authentic followers of Christ, obey Him and are secure in Him. We obey the Lord, and because we obey the Lord, we are secure in Him. In John 15:10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. You can camp out. You can move in. You will reside in the valley of my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see the connection of being obedient to the Word of God? And with that, having the privilege of being in him. Folks, don't overlook the emphasis that Jesus put on this concept of abiding. I think about in John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. But he says, apart from me. You can't do anything. Not one thing to please your Heavenly Father. You have got to abide in the Lord. And, and so, think about this. You say, well, wait a minute. I, I'm not really sure. I fully, fully grasp that. But well, let me just take you back to John's Gospel. Since we're John's epistle. Let me just take you back to John's Gospel in chapter 14. And let's listen to the words of the Lord Himself. In John's Gospel chapter 14 in verse 16, John, I mean Jesus said to his disciples, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, capitalized in my translation, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Forever is how long? Forever. You don't have the Holy Spirit fall out, he goes back to heaven. Then you get saved again. He comes back. Oh no, ladies and gentlemen. When Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes to you, the Helper comes to you, the Holy Spirit comes to you, He's with you forever. In verse 17 of John's Gospel there, chapter 14, He says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, For he dwells with you. Now, don't miss this end of that verse. He dwells with you and will be in you. Listen, did you see? Jesus says, for he dwells with you. Jesus, looking at himself and the Holy Spirit, almost synonymously. The presence of God is with you. Right now, fellas, right now. This is before the crucifixion. He's present with you now, but don't miss what he says. And will be, future tense, where? In you. He's talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Where do we get such confidence to walk through this world in the midst of sin and depravity and violence and chaos and live with a sense of confidence? It's because we know that where we go, whatever we face, Whatever we are encountering, we're not alone. We are in Christ. You are. The day that you earnestly, honestly confessed your sins and professed faith in Jesus Christ and genuinely committed to follow Him daily practicing the principles of his word as a disciple guess what you were placed in christ don't ask me to explain it and i'm not going to use egg yolks and ice and things like that i just know that we are in him and he is in us and that being the case I don't care what kind of storm clouds Satan may stir up against you. I don't care how dark and ominous the world around you may become. I don't care how many of your so-called friends desert you or antagonize you. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you are never alone. You've got the very creator of all of Creation, the sovereign God who is El Elyon, high and lifted up above every principality and power, the ruler of all of ages and all the universe, the God Almighty, He is walking with you. What more do you need? My dear friend, Phil Oakley, who spoke this past fall here, he and his wife Beth were missionaries over in West Africa for a number of years. Phil and I graduated from high school together, Wake Forest together. And, and he was an uh, international missionary, he and Beth. And they're in West Africa, predominantly Muslim, very very, very tumultuous part of the world. And they had to send their children off to boarding school. <laughs> I, I can't even go there as a parent. I mean hundreds of miles away, into another region, just to go to school. They wouldn't see them for months. Well it just so happened that the boarding school that their youngest daughter was in came uh, not the school but the town came under attack by radical rebels who took over the region and their little daughter was calling home and saying mama bullets are flying over the walls of our compound. The house parents have told us to just stay under our beds and Phil was talking about how helpless he felt. He and Beth because they couldn't rescue him. The International Mission Board couldn't rescue them. Even the the, the the West African government couldn't rescue them. They were praying praying hard. And some of those missionaries got on the phone and started calling Washington D.C. And saying you've You are our only hope. If God chooses to work, he's going to work through somebody there. They kept barraging the White House with phone calls and phone calls. Phil says, you'll never imagine the great relief and elation that came over us when we received a phone call from the uh, embassy saying the Marines are off the coast and they're flying in to the town where your daughter and the rest of the students are. And a military convoy went into that compound and rescued those children and took them out of safety into another region. Listen. that, That presence, he said, just knowing that the Marines of the United States of America were there. We, we felt so good knowing that our daughter, our precious daughter, was in good hands. Listen, greater than the United States, greater than our Marines, greater than our armed forces, greater than any power that man ever has had or ever will have. Every child of God walks through this dangerous and unpredictable world with the very presence and the power of God. And because of that, we can walk in confidence and live in confidence. And it is our confidence, ladies and gentlemen. It is our confidence in the face of unstable and uncertain times that is one of the greatest witnesses we have to a lost and fragile world. How are you doing? Is your attitude one of great confidence in the Lord? Let's bow. Heavenly Father,